At long last, I am able to say a few words of my own. Read my lips. Government is not the solution to our problem. Senator, good morning again in America. Well, look, Big Bird. Yes, we can. Government is the problem. Welcome, everybody, to a liberal and conservative walk into a bar. My name is Matt, and I'm a liberal. My name's Tim. I'm conservative. Thank you so much for joining us. Check us out in the iTunes store. We're in the Google Play store. We're on Stitcher. Check out our website at libcon.podbean.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at libconmatt. Tim is at libcontim. And buy Tim's book on Amazon. It's called Things I Want. Uh, well, we hope you're well. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to, we're going to talk, I don't, I don't, you know, it's been an, it's been an interesting, uh, it's been an interesting week because not quite so much drama has happened, which has been a little weird. I've, I've actually felt not, not creepy about looking at the news or not at least terrified to look at the news for the first time in, in weeks, it feels like, uh, which has been a little odd. So we're, we're but there have been some maybe some policy things happening. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit about Russia and how that whole Obamacare thing is going. And then I think we're actually going to get to that deregulation conversation that we've been well talking about having for weeks. It's going to happen. Week, it's it is going to happen. happen. But there was a week in there where you guys didn't hear us talk about you know the fact that it might happen because again. You know Tim screwed up, but that's okay. right. So they think you've only, yeah we've only let you down once, but really it's twice. Yeah. So it's just times so you know. Yeah, exactly. So we, we we need you guys to know these things. It's important that you understand what's going on with us. So, yeah. And by the way, speaking of what's going on with us, if you hear the sound of a train in the background, it's not because anyone's on a train. I'm just going to leave it there. It's a toy train. I'm hiding <laughs> I'm hiding in a storage closet at my parents' house in order to do this show. And there's a toy train somewhere that I can't find, and it just goes off. <laughs> So my apologies for my complete lack of professionalism um, <laughs> as I sit in the dark of a storage closet doing our show. I just want to I just want to say that I have done I've I've done we've been doing this for a little for a, a little over a year at this point maybe a year a year and a few months and and I have done this from two locations in either my office and when the one time that you were here we did it out in the in the in the 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 workroom. Uh, off my kitchen. So those are the two rooms that I have done this show from. You, on the other hand, have now done it from a storage closet. You've done it from your car, uh, mm-hmm. your house, mom and dad's basement, your office down at St. Peter and Paul. This is fascinating, frankly. <laughs> well, let's not forget in another country. I mean, we started this <laughs> right? show when I yeah, lived in Ecuador. In Ecuador so I did started. a variety of rooms <laughs> from another from another land. So... It it, actually, yeah. it still it still kills me to point out that we figured out how to do this when Tim's out of the country, but we still haven't figured out how to do it when we're in the same room together, uh, not successfully. So uh, our, apparently, my my audio ingenuity only extends so far. So, uh, toy trains aside, are you well? I am. I'm I'm excited. Let's do this. Let's do this quickly. <laughs> Let's do this quickly. This is not comfortable. It's dark. It's creepy. <laughs> I need to use the restroom. Like, let's let's move this along here. Move right. it along. Fair enough. All right. So, I you know what as far as what to make of this week, I don't know. It's been it, it's been sort of quiet, you know, by Trump standards. It, it's right. I mean, it, it, this has been almost boring compared to the first few weeks, which is 
probably good. But, but then again, Lord knows what's cooking up back there. You almost feel like they've retreated back to just beat us over the head come Monday. But, uh, you know, um, I, you know, the, the conservative political action conference is going on right now. So there's lots of chest thumping and, uh, Mike Pence gave a big, Oh, dun, 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 repeal Obamacare nightmare about to end and blah, 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 blah. And that was chased by some interesting comments from John Boehner, which we'll get to the whole Obamacare here thing in a little bit. But, um, uh, one thing that did happen this week was the transgender education guidelines that the Obama administration put out that sparked a big debate and freaked everybody out and made everybody mad or made them happy, depending on who you were, uh, were reversed by the, the department of education earlier in the week. So I, I mean, I, I, I was sort of on the fence about, you know, how big a deal these actually were for either side when they came out. So I don't, I, I sort of see this as this may turn into one of those political footballs, sort of like that abortion law that we talked about, you know, the funding thing that earlier that he kicked back that like George HW Bush put into effect and then Clinton rescinded and then Bush put it back into effect and then Obama rescinded it. And now Trump's put it back into effect and, uh, I kind of feel like this is what the way that this law is going. I don't know what they're not law. They're not even laws. They're not even rules. They're just, you know, it's more of a guideline than a rule. So more of a guideline than a rule. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Well, I mean, one, I would hate to see it turn into a quote unquote political football. Um, you know, the, the abortion funding thing going back and forth is, is bad enough due to the the strain that that puts on these organizations as they try how to find best to um, handles women's health issues in in third world countries. Um, yeah, how do you budget? But, <laughs> right, you know. Well, I think we got funding this year, but um, so I would hate to see that happen with with something like this, where I mean, you're you're dealing with you know children who are in a very vulnerable place uh, and they need they need help and support, uh, not to be not to be tossed about on the political playing field. Um, now I, I happen to, I, I strongly disagreed with Obama's rule. It was the, I remember that was my, my flash moment of, I might just vote for Trump. Uh, because I was, I Oh, was don't pretty, worry. I haven't forgotten. I, I was pretty pissed. Uh, and stayed mad. I mean, I, I stand by that. I think the, the, the bill law guideline, whatever it is, uh, was no good. Um, and, and less, you know, I, I don't like the bathroom aspect, but the fact that it went far, far beyond bathrooms, you know, uh, you always kind of talked about how the transgender bill in the North Carolina Congress included a lot more than just bathrooms. Uh, and so did this, you know, I mean, this, uh, it made it a rule that if uh, there was an overnight stay, Right, so they go on a field trip. They go on their senior trip. A transgender boy sleeps with the boys. A transgender girl sleeps with the girls. So this puts us in the very awkward scenario of a biological fifteen-year-old male sleeping with a bunch of biological fifty-year-old females, and vice versa, which I think creates very dangerous, unhealthy situations, uh, and I think is enormously unfair to. 
uh, the biological girls in that scenario. Um, you know, uh, they extend it to locker rooms. So, I mean, you're getting into girls being told they have to get comfortable undressing in front of a boy because he says that he feels that he is a girl. Um, there was no rules as far as how is this decided. You know, this was left completely up to the the individual, right? So I I decide I'm a girl. Boom, I'm a girl. And I get to sleep with all the other girls. Ah, this I am not comfortable with this. And it extended to sports. I'm a boy who decides I'm a girl. Now I get to compete in women's boxing. This creates safety issues. Um, so I, I'm glad that it was reversed, and I hope that they're able to come together to find a rule that addresses the very real issue uh, that's out there for you know the struggle that exists for transgender teens and, and kids as they seek to find their way in the world without infringing on the, the the rights of the other kids. Okay, I'm 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 about I, I've given this a lot of thought last last few days. Believe it or not, I realize I, I just kind of threw it out as ooh a thing that happened this week. But you know the thing about it is, and what what I've basically decided about these things is is that here here's what here's what I think the biggest distinction and the difference between like this kind of thing and then what the like the North Carolina law is is that when it comes to North Carolina law and a lot of other things, what you're dealing with is adults. Okay, and adults, what adults do, the North Carolina law in that respect was crap. Okay, and that was that was ridiculous. But at the same time, it was it was it was dealing with adults that have been through that are able to make their own decisions to a certain extent, and and uh, and uh, you know we have to, and particularly Republicans, actually put a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of emphasis on individual liberties and making sure that 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 the government should be trusting people to behave because people are capable of governing themselves. And in this respect, when it comes to transgendered individuals, if that's the choice that they've made and that's how they want to, you know, uh, that's how they want to act in a free society, then, you know, they should be able to say, okay, I am this, so I'm going to use this bathroom or what have you, you know, and I don't know if, um, you know, maybe we really should just be pushing to move towards unisex bathrooms and that's the end of it. But, uh, you know, not everybody can, can have single bangers and, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in every area, it's usually more economical to have big rooms, one big room for each group. So, you know, it, uh, I, I don't know that that was one of the reasons why I sort of found the the North Carolina laws a little bit, a little bit baffling, but the difference to me in this case is that you're dealing with kids. And I, I trust that there is where if you're going to live in a free society, then you have to trust adults to make their own choices. And you have to, uh, you know, this has nothing to do with trusting or not trusting people who are confident that they are transgendered. But it, in this case, you're asking me to trust teenagers. I trust transgendered people. I don't trust teenagers at all because they're teenagers and teenagers do stupid shit all the time and they make dumb decisions and they wake up one morning and think that they're one thing and then go to bed the next day and all of a sudden they're something totally different. And that's not to 
you know, to shut down every single, uh, you know, every single uh, person who's been a teenager has questioned their sexuality, decided to become transgendered and then stayed that way their entire lives. I'm sure there there are hundreds of thousands, if not thousands of or however many just there's many, many people that deal with it. Big lots of dozens, dozens, hundreds, hundreds, something. something. I don't know. One. I don't know. People just hand me these things. So, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm, 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 my point is that I'm sure that's a perfectly normal track, but then there are an awful lot of teenagers who, you know, go through periods of questioning and don't end up doing anything about it, you know? Um, and I don't think that I, I just don't think that it's healthy to allow that kind of latitude to teenagers. I think that we should be we should be finding other ways to encourage them to explore, but you've still got to have guidelines and rules in place that say, okay, this is the way it's going to be. Once you're out, once you're out of out of here, this school, this house, whatever. Once you turn eighteen and you're done, then you're right. You can make these decisions. But this idea that kids are like having, uh, you know really exploring serious like sex change operations when they're 14 that I got to admit that, but that bothers me, you know? And I, I honestly, I don't have, I would hope that maybe schools should be looking to a certain extent towards, um, finding ways to, you know, have unisex bathrooms available. I don't care how these kids dress. I don't care who they date. I don't care who they take to prom. None of that matters. But when it comes to insisting that boys should sleep with girls on overnight trips, I, I think that's a bridge too far. I mean, I'm just going to be the not liberal and come right out and admit I just I think that's too far. I really do. And if I was a parent, that would bother me. It just would. Agreed. So... Uh, I mean, but it, it's just a tough situation. It it's is, a tough yeah. scenario, and it needs to be done. You know, unfortunately, these conversations, like you said, they, they can turn into these political footballs, and this just can't happen with this sort of thing um, because it's too sensitive an issue, it's too important, and we need to be able to have calm discussions about these things, acknowledging all of the possible ramifications. Yeah, and we um, need to find ways to allow teenagers to be teenagers, to explore and figure out who they are and, you know, within certain, you know, limits. I mean, there have to be some guidelines, right? Because they're still kids. Now, let me, just just to poke a bear, uh, let, me, let me ask you this question, because this is something that I've, that I've struggled with, right? So, You're already married. I don't know that it'll go over well. <laughs> Probably not. Um, so I, I had my fantastic two-week experience at Chandler Baseball Camp when I was in eighth grade. And in our room, uh, our counselor slept, right? So our counselor slept in the cabin with us. This was a 17-year-old dude, right? Hanging out with all of us 13-year-olds. Yeah. Normal, right? Standard. Okay, check. Now... How does that work? And this is acceptable because he's of the same sex as me, right? Like, I can't, uh, you know, a parent obviously would be less than pleased if a camp was placing a 17-year-old boy in the room with all of their 13-year-old girls, 
right? I would think so, yeah. I would not be comfortable with this, I, right? You would not be no, comfortable with this. I don't think this. so. Okay. How does it work when the counselor is gay? I don't know. What are you talking about? You mean you mean well, if, if there's it, a, if there if that was a gay man? Like if, if are you saying right. that if your counselor had been gay? Right. Because obviously, I mean, the reason why they don't want the 17-year-old in the room with a 17-year-old boy with all the 13-year-old girls, it's not because the, the boy is a pedophile or anything like that. It's just that they're, I mean, they're, they're close enough in age that this is not, this is just, this is not societally acceptable, right? Because of obvious possible consequences. Aren't those same obvious possible consequences at stake when it's a 17-year-old gay man with 13 year old boys yeah i think to a certain extent i mean i don't know you know and how so how do you i mean it how do you handle that i mean i think anything at that point because i mean our counselors were because i went to the same camp and i was what i was probably the same age what 12 13 14 somewhere in there i don't i don't actually remember how old i was um when i went but and i i guess my i guess my counselor was probably five, six years older. I mean, I, I, I think at some point you have to look at it and say, okay, well, is there really liable to be, I mean, any kind of sexual attraction between anybody who's 18, 19, I don't care if they're gay or straight, with a 13-year-old is going to be inappropriate one way or the other. Now, do you run a higher risk of that if the counselors themselves are gay? I don't know. I mean, if they're, I, I don't know. I, I don't have I don't have an it's answer tough. to that question. I don't, and I I don't know if you know. Uh. uh you know I, I I think that, but again, I th- I think you have to come back to a certain extent. You have to rely on statistics and and find that you know you go back to find that actually more examples of pedophilia come out of straight men than they do out of gay men. You know, well, but that's just my point. Is yeah. I don't. I mean, you you can you can call it pedophilia, I guess, and, and it, it is, you know, by by def, by strict definition. But I mean, I, as a parent, you're not comfortable with them sleeping there because it's the opposite sex. You know, this is not okay. I mean, but you know, by that why, standard, are you? Would you be more or less comfortable having? Well, I don't know. That's probably a bad example. I mean, I I don't. I mean, if you had a if if you had a if you had a babysitter, I mean, you have to look at to a certain extent. You got to look at counselors as babysitters in that respect. So, if you had uh, your choice between you're leaving town, you got to leave your uh, you know, Tob- let's say Tobias is twelve and Clara's what nine? Uh, how long? How how many years separating the two? What three years? Am I am I right? Are there three, four years between the two of them? Your kids, four uh, years. Four. Okay, so yeah, your kids, my children. Years. So four. Tobias is twelve. Claire is eight. You guys are going away for a weekend, and you have a choice between uh, leaving them with a girl or a gay man for the weekend. Do you not choose the gay man because he's gay, sexually attracted to men, and more likely to hit on Tobias? I would not want the gay man or the woman sleeping in the same room as my 12 year old son i would find that awkward staying in the same house if they were 17 
Same in the same house, but that's it. Without right? you there, same house I mean, is different. I... Same ha- for me, same house is different. This is a different thing, right? And so if you're talking about counselors who are just in the same building, the, right, this is fine, right? This is this is normal, this is standard. We're talking about them being in that same room, that same where they change and they do all their stuff, all in the same room. That's where it gets weird, right? That that's that's the weirdness for me. It's not because I actually think that the you know this gay person is more likely than a straight person. No, not in any way, shape, or form. For me, the weirdness is them being in that same room, right? So we go on, and and this is standard procedure in a lot of camps. This is normal. Uh, Catholic car work camp. Us male chaperones sleep in the same room as the in the same like classroom as the students and societally this is fine because we're all the same sex i don't know i think for me it it is raised it raises interesting questions and i've i've talked to a couple of people who were not comfortable you know with sending their kids to this camp because they knew that the counselor slept in the same room and they they knew at least one of the counselors was gay and they weren't comfortable with that, and I think there's a knee-jerk reaction to go, "Ooh, homophobic! Why are you? Why do you? Hate, why do you think that they're more like?" So I, I don't think that. I don't think that they're more likely or anything. I just think that it's inappropriate because that is the sex which they are attracted to, and once kids hit a certain age, you know, a lot of thirteen-year-olds look like sixteen-year-olds, you know, uh, and I think it becomes inappropriate. Well, I think it's a fair question to ask, and I think that to a certain extent, it, it, uh, for, first of all, asking questions like that, I don't think immediately makes you homophobic, I, and I and I don't think that that's a fair. I think that that's one of those knee jerk things that that people tend to have, like you said. I think it's a knee jerk response, um, but you know, I, I mean, I I don't I, I don't I don't have answers to these questions. I don't, you know, I don't I don't think it makes you homophobic. And I think that if there's anybody out here listening to this show who's immediately jumping on either one of us and saying that we're either homophobic, fucking bite me. But, uh, you know, um, uh, I, I think there are questions that I don't have answers to. Would I would I necessarily raise a stink if I were a parent about it? I don't know. Probably not. I don't think that would be my first reaction, no. Um, but, I mean, if I found out, because if I found out right now, if I went to, if I found, say I found out tonight that, you know, the guy who had been my counselor at baseball camp was gay, I, 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 I don't think that would make me feel any differently about him one way or the other. Um you know, he was a nice enough guy. I he had absolutely no impact on me whatsoever. He was a guy who got mad at us once because we screwed up and got him in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I. Beyond that, I I don't I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so well, and in some cases like this, I, there are to what to me are obvious clear answers that can leave everyone comfortable such as, well, don't have the counselors sleep in the same room and going back to the bathroom thing. To me, the clear, obvious answer is have unisex bathrooms available. Like I get that it's a school. And so you can't have just bathroom on bathroom on bathroom on bathroom of unisex. So I, I think a reasonable, the reasonable guideline would be 
create schools are required to have available sufficient unisex bathrooms for their transgender Yeah, like students. say one or two unisex bathrooms per floor. You know, but at the yeah. same yeah, to me that's, that's good. That's the that's the legitimate fix to provide them a place where they can go. Because I get if you're a transgendered kid, like that you don't feel comfortable being, you know, in this in the same room. You know, I I get that shit. I would get that for a a gay kid. You know, that he doesn't want to go to the bathroom next to the people that he's attracted to. Like I understand. I I piss next to my wife. That's about it. I'm not willing to do it next to anyone other any other girl. So. Yeah, I, I think the unisex bathrooms would be the proper way to go for the Trump administration if they want to issue yeah. guidelines. And on and I don't I I don't think that's an unreasonable thing to ask. I don't think it's a, a, a terribly difficult burden to meet. And I I don't, uh, you know. But then at the same time, if they want to go, you know what? Look, if you want to say, all right, I'm certain that I'm a transgendered student, and I need to not be in rooms with dudes or, you know, uh, you know, I need to go, uh, because I identify as a woman, you know, I, I think at that point then you have to say, okay, well, you know, if we're on a hotel trip, then maybe we need to try to find a way to, you know, so that you can have your own room or, uh, you know, or at that, or maybe that's where you draw the line. Look, you know, you're, this is where we have to, you know, put this out. And so, you know, but I, again, I think at that stage, fine. And making sure that you can have your own room, that's something else, you know, then maybe you got to get the parents involved and, and, you know, things of that nature. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that there has to be more discussion. Like we've said, we've said that a number of times, there has to be more real discussion about this kind of thing and allow people to air their concerns without jumping on them. And immediately calling them homophobic. You because they're just I'm sorry, there are a lot of people that just don't know. I I to the to this day, eleven years in the restaurant business, I knew people that liked to dress in drag, but they did not identify as a different sex. I have still never in my life actually met anybody who legitimately identified as transgender. So yeah, you know, I haven't either. This is a very mythological and, and, group for me, and I would want to spend more time talking to them and learning about their struggle and what this is like before. And I and I hope I hope the Trump administration does that. You know, I hope that there are long, heartfelt conversations with people who identify as transgendered as they're trying to come up with these these yeah. rules. Yeah, I mean, and, and and you know what? And I'm but what what I what I point the reason I point that out is that you know. One, I don't know that this is this is not a common thing. You know, a lot of I think a lot of people on the right are trying to paint this as though there's so many transgender people just waiting to come out and 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 take over everybody and and that there's got to be at least one in every school. Uh, and no, we're talking about a very small minority uh, group of people. And then also, I, I think the other side is trying to paint it as though there's all these people who are just hiding around and, you know, not they're afraid to talk about it. And, and maybe, maybe they are. I, I don't you know, I don't want to say that that they're they're not. But I mean, I'm saying that I have led what I feel like is a pretty diverse life. I mean, I, you know, and have met a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life. And that's one group that I can honestly tell you not once.
so you know uh i i don't know it's uh but i'm i'm with you i i would hope that at some point i would have a ch- an opportunity to to interact with some of those folks so uh anyway um so, so deregulation, deregulation not right, gonna happen know. yeah that, that, that was that was one line in the agenda on line number two so uh very briefly i mean other stuff that went on in the administration besides this you know there was this uh, trump made during the press conference made the, the the comment about how phenomenal his his transition was going uh and he was filling more positions than ever and uh, Vox pointed out a couple of days ago that of the 549 key positions that need Senate confirmation so far, Trump's filled 14 of them. So sounds like we're a little behind. Um, but uh, on the other hand, the new national security guy looks really good. HR McMaster. Really, really good. He looks great. Um, yeah. I'm actually really kind of excited about him. I couldn't, could not be further from Michael Flynn. Uh um, in fact, he's been a guy who who pushed really looking. He wrote an entire thesis at, that really looked that was very well received and, and eventually published really looked at the mistakes that we made in Vietnam, uh, both from a, um, yeah. a political and military standpoint. It was very well received. Uh, he's one of the guys who's been pushing uh, understanding uh, Muslim society while he was working in Iraq and, and working with people down there and trying to make it clear that Islam is not the enemy and, and, you know, really, 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 really interesting guy, surprisingly interesting guy. Um, so, uh, and, uh, this, this seems to be the way it's going in Trump's administration that you have, it's like, you've got two groups and you've got sort of this axis of the sensible, with Rex Tillerson and Mattis and Kelly and now McNaster. And then you've got like Bannon and uh, I'm, I'm not quite ready to put DeVos in that area, but she seems a little, she definitely seems to be kind of over there. Um, and it's all going to come down to who does Trump listen to, you know? Uh, and that, that remains to be seen. Right now, it seems like he listens a lot to Bannon and that kind of group. So we'll we'll, well see what Bannon happens. Was at CPAC, you know, shooting his mouth off about how he was going to work day. The, it was going to be a day to day. What did he say? It was going to be a daily grind to grind down the administrative state or something. What did? He, how did he put it? Uh, I, I don't remember. I'd, I'd have to look it up. He uh, vows a daily fight for the deconstruction of the administrative state. Uh, I mean, this guy is, man, he's bad shit. Um, one of the, the, but he also, I mean, you talk about these two, I don't, I don't what that means you bounce back. That's what I'm saying. It's this sort of ideological nonsense of, I don't know, whatever. But so on one hand, you've got his wing of things out there at, uh, uh, this, uh, conference in Brussels. Uh, talking to uh, different envoys and Bannon gets into, gets into, pardon me, gets into a a pissing contest with uh, a representative with a German ambassador. uh, And he's freaking out all these diplomats. And uh, one diplomat basically said that they've got one group 
who says that they want to support the EU and then Bannon who's running around going and saying that, well, he doesn't want to work with the EU. He wants to work with individual countries. And Pence actually gave a speech, uh, in Munich where he, he said, uh, there's no one in the administration, uh, who, uh, you know, it's my privilege on behalf of, uh, president Trump to express the strong commitment of the United States to continue cooperation and partnership with the European union. Um, so Pence and others, and to quote a diplomat, Pence and others are saying reassuring things that don't square with what the president and Bannon say. So, yeah, you've got conflicting messages for everybody, you know, which is no good. You can't function that way. Uh, you, you've talked a lot about how the Republicans always seem to be able to manage to get right in line and and move forward almost in unison. And that's being torn apart. And the world can't function like this. So at some point, he's going to have to make a choice. We'll see yeah, what that choice one, is. Which one do you want to be? So, you know, I don't know. Um, very very quickly, because just mostly because we haven't talked about it much at all. Uh, frankly, if you want to know a lot about the Russia stuff, go watch John Oliver from this past Sunday, because that was really good. Uh, but I we haven't talked about, like, what, you know... Because this just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And like today, CNN broke uh, from sources that the administration had gone to the FBI directly to, to James Comey and asked them to back off uh, there. Yeah. Uh, and Comey flat out told him no. Uh, Good job, Comey. So, you know. Comey is my homie. Is he? Hell man? yeah. Uh, are, are, are we? Are He's we always been. I, I did not. I did not disagree with any of Comey's decisions in that entire. That the entire. La- the thing. last one I couldn't get on board with. The last time when he opened his mouth and that one, that one annoyed me. But for the most part, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I, I had no, I had, I had little problems with him, but, uh, you know, they supposedly he there were the. Uh, the White House asked him to come down and and to come out and and knock down the stories uh, about Trump and Russia, and he said absolutely not. So, uh, you know, I don't. How do you, how do you how do you how do you feel about all that? What do you what do you make of this? I mean, does this does this bother you? Does this freak you out the way that it it really is freaking out a lot of people? Um, I wouldn't say that it freaks me out, but we need answers. So, I mean, the same way that all of Clinton and her emails and the stuff, you know, uh, okay. Sh- show me evidence, like show me something. I, I need to see more. And that's sort of the way I feel about all this. So right now we've got Flynn talking about sanctions when he shouldn't have been. And we've got a president who is buddying up to Russia more than he needs to. Um, and you've got some hacking things, so there's a lot. There's a lot of smoke, uh, and it's. But at some point, I, I need to see legitimate findings, um, proof. So, and our law enforcement agencies need to be given full reign to do these things. And those who are in power, like the Senate, as a, they're doing, need to be pressing, saying we need to have answers on this because this is far too important for us to let slide. So good job on everybody who's standing up for it. I don't know enough one way or the other in order to say, yes, our president is in bed with Russia. 
I, I can't do that, nor can I say that he's not. So for, for the sake of clarity, for the sake of our nation, we need to figure out exactly what's going on. Yeah. I, I have no other rebuttal to that. I, you know, the, the, the implications here are massive. It's a little unprecedented and we've got to know what the deal is. You know, I don't, I don't see Russia themselves on the whole as this, you know, Russia's scary. Like you said last week, Russia is scary really only because of their nuclear arsenal. No other reason. Uh, and you know, the propensity for shenanigans regarding that. But beyond that, you know, Russia is not near the threat that they were. And, uh, you know, but we got to know, we just, we have to know. And, and, you know, I, I, it's like you said, there's a lot of smoke. I need to see some fire before I really start flipping out about it. Um, so if there is fire, show it to me. It's very, again, just like you said with, uh, with the Clinton stuff, you know, if you think there's something there, great, show it to me. They never could. So it never swayed me in this case. I already don't like Trump. So I don't, I you could leave the Russia thing out there. I still wouldn't like the man. So, you know, let, let's see before I start calling for his head and all this other stuff. Let's, let's see if there's actually something there. Now I will admit to, I don't know how to phrase this. I think Trump needs to go and I want to see, I actively want to see Trump impeached and Mike Pence is our president. And so deep down in places, I don't talk about at parties, but apparently I do talk about on air. I was going to say, uh, this is not secret I, There's anymore. a part of me that's hoping, I, there's part of me that's hoping they will find something, something impeachable so that we can get rid of them. At, at this point, I, I would almost say I'm you, hoping You think that. he's that much of a danger, really? Or do you just think he's I bad think he's at just incompetent. <laughs> I think I, I you know I don't know if I want to say danger in the sense of that he's going to blow up the world, but he's incompetent at least, right? Uh, I no mean, the, looking at least from what I've seen in the last month. Uh, whereas I think Pence is very competent, and I I think that in general the things that a lot of the Republican Party is pushing to do, I'm on board with and would like to see it get done. And I don't think that Trump is the man to do it. And there's a number of things that if even if he wasn't crazy, I don't want to see done. You know, I want to see free trade flourish. I want to see globalization flourish. And that is not his agenda. So, yes, I I am hoping for him to get impeached well, at this that's, point. Uh, that's 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 uh, look. I wouldn't be a. I'm I'm not opposed to it if he does. I mean, you know, I I I don't think I think that he has a lot of very vocal, very strong, very. Very vocal supporters out there. I think that they are very much in the minority. Um, you know, and uh, and they're going to stick with him regardless. You know, but I think that a lot of the people who are sort of on the fence about him, or at least tolerating him, if they're shown anything, will will immediately flip to the other side. So you know, yeah, all the Republicans like me who are who well. I'm not really tolerating him at this point. So, but all the Republicans who went with him solely because he was the head, he got the nomination, support the party. They would be thrilled to see Mike Pence's presence. Oh, absolutely. Well, Mike Pence is one of them. I think that goes. Yeah. yeah, I so I 
I can't. I, I there's a part of me that feels like nothing would make Speaker Ryan happier than to have the opportunity to impeach President Trump. Yeah, it's been pretty quiet on the Ryan front lately. <clears throat> haven't haven't really heard a lot out of him in the last little bit. So, mm-hmm. um, very quickly because we do need to get to the the deregulation stuff. Or, um, but so there's some interesting. There there have been a lot of interesting things going on in the Obamacare front, particularly, but. Uh, you know, and with the, the reps being at home lately and all these people going to these town halls and, uh, you know, there's a lot of resistance coming up and, uh, you know, the GOP is very, and, you know, right thinking GOP people who are not stupid, like Jason Chaffetz, uh, who are coming out, people like surprisingly Tom Cotton, I was amazed, uh, Chuck Grassley, uh, out of Iowa, are recognizing this for what it is, which is that it's very like what happened to Republicans, what Republicans did in between 2008 and 2010, showing up at all the town halls and vocalizing and getting mad and shouting and all this other stuff. And I don't remember if Democrats were in, insisting that they were paid or what have you. I think they, some of them probably were. Um, but, you know, this is, you know, my my thoughts on this are this is this is what happens. You know, these are the people that are in power. And I think that there are a lot of people out there that are genuinely afraid of the possibility for repealing Obamacare that are showing up and making sure that they are the ones that are heard because the people who have been controlling the narrative for so long have been the people that have been saying that Obamacare is a disaster. And now there are all these people that are coming out and going, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not you're not hearing what we have to say. And I think that this is them getting that opportunity out to be heard, you know, because I don't think they have been heard. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of a lot of this is people t- sort of taking this into their own hands, because, frankly, the Democrats did a crap job of selling the ACA and defending it. So there's a lot of folks, I think, that are taking this into their own hands. But there is some political organization going on. Frankly, there was some political organization going on between 2008 and 2010. It was called the Tea Party. So this all seems like sort of the normal state of things to me. This is sort of what what we do as a country. When one side gets a lot of power, the other side tends to show up in force. Right? Yeah. Stop complaining about people showing up to your town halls. Be glad people are participating. There you go. Yeah, that's yeah, that's 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 kind of where I'm at. The interesting comments today that I saw out of John Boehner were uh, basically that he doesn't think repeal and replace will happen. Uh, he sort of laughed at it, uh, and uh, said, "And I quote: Republicans never ever agree on health care. Most of the framework of the Affordable Care Act that's going to be there." They're going to fix Obamacare. I shouldn't call it repeal and replace because it's not going to happen. Well, Boehner knows better than anybody how hard it is to get anything done or make anything happen. You know, he was a moderate who swerved to the right, kind of like McCain did, to try and get things done and appease the base. And that still didn't work for him, and he got got canned. Um, so... Now, when I was right, I'm not. I'm not convinced yet that we won't repeal and replace completely. Um, I don't know, because part of me feels like it does need to be repealed and replaced with. Because part of it is just the sheer breadth of the whole thing. So it seems like, uh, in some ways, it would be easier to repeal it and 
replace it, especially if you're talking about getting rid of the marketplaces, you know, and you're getting rid of the 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 means based tax subsidies. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I actually do uh, understand know, that argument because they, it is they a little bit of a how house of stuff cards, works, right? You know, if you go yanking one out, yeah. does the entire thing crumble? You know, and then you're just left with a mess. Is it easier to just wipe the slate clean and start over? I don't know. Maybe, but show me a cohesive plan. I still haven't seen one. And a lot of what one of the points that a Vox writer made was that you have this Republican plan that's based on the whole root and branch repeal. We're going to take it out. Yada, 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 all the whatever circle jerk stuff they were talking for years. Um, And it was based on the idea that the plan hadn't been in place yet. These were 2010 ideas for the 2012 election. And then they just stayed on the same talking points all the way through 2016 and didn't come up with another plan once it had been put in place. But 2012, it still was possible to do this because the bulk of the law hadn't gone into effect yet. But now it has. Well, true. But I mean, Rand Paul did. I mean, Rand Paul no, no, no. put forth I'm the not full talking about, thing. I know. I know that there have been, you, you keep coming back to that. I know there have been a lot of individuals, people who have put out a lot of different plans. The Republicans have yet to come together around a specific plan and they have yet, uh, okay. they have yet to put saying. anything together as a party and say yes this is our idea right this is what we yeah. as republicans think should be done we as a house of representatives this is our guy yes pass yeah. it okay yes correct we have not done I that i don't even think this they're close true. and we I mean, need I, to they don't seem to be uh it doesn't seem like it uh yeah i i don't i don't have really have an argument there so we, we need, let's, let's get on <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, one of these days, I don't know. Supposedly, <laughs> supposedly DJ's going to roll his out next month, but, you know, we'll see. Um, well, and that's more than likely the most efficient way for it to be done, right? Because that was the thing that sort of bit Obama a little bit when he was doing it, was that he got very into this, you know, well, the legislature's job is to write the laws thing. And while that's technically true, for something of this magnitude, there's a part of me that almost feels like it needs to come from the Oval Office. Um, yeah, and I don't and I don't disagree with that statement. That's a lot of a lot of the driving. You know, it's it was the difference between somebody like a Lyndon Johnson type guy. You know, back in the late back in back in the '60s with like the Civil Rights Act. You know, Johnson was the guy who was behind the scenes twisting arms and 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 putting saying, "This is what we're going to do. I need you guys to get behind it." And Obama just didn't see his role that way. It's like you said, you know, he he was really sort of the con law nerd who, you know, this is the way the presidency is supposed to work. I need the legislature to do this. You guys go do it. I'm going to stay out of it. And that didn't, it's like, it didn't really work. You know, I think it works best in that. So maybe you're right, you know, maybe, but, but then again, we both think Trump's incompetent. So what's he going to come up with? I don't know. And again, depends on who he listens to. Now, I like Tom Price. So if he's listening to Tom Price and Tom Price is the one basically putting this bill together, then I think we're going to see a reasonably good bill yeah. put forth. Well, but we'll see. Time will tell. Time to talk about deregulation. So <laughs> uh, at last, um, this is one of this is this is a conversation we've been wanting to have mostly because this is one of those. It's one of those cornerstone sorts of things. The differences between conservatives and liberals and Democrats, Republicans, blah, 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 blah. 
uh, is this, you know, like the, the big government, little government conversation that we had a little while ago. Regulation, deregulation. Democrats want the, you know, the, the, the myth, the, the extreme mythological versions are Democrats want massive government with a, just a shit pile of regulations to clamp everything down and tighten the noose on everyone. And Republicans just want, want corporate free love all over the place. And, you know, nobody has their no rules when it comes to business whatsoever. Anything goes, which neither of which is entirely true. Um, but that's the, that's the stigma. So let's start with you. I say deregulation. What do you hear? Uh, I like it. <laughs> let's, let's do it. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what you want from me there. Um, yes. Deregulate <laughs> shit. Uh, there right, you go. Fine. As a moderator, I have now failed my job. <laughs> Moving on. So, okay. Let me put out what I what? think of what I think of when I, when I hear, okay, I hear deregulation and I don't necessarily have a problem with, because it's hard for me to look at like you look like you look at what Matt Bevan has been pointing out a lot in Kentucky is that there are just a lot of stupid arcane laws on the books. So the idea is to go through and try to trim the fat. And to a certain extent, he's done that. Has it fixed the massive amounts of things that he said it was going to fix during his election cycle. Eh, eh, that's debatable, but you know, you can't deny that there are a lot of stupid sort of, you know, ice cream truck on the sidewalk type rules that just needed to go. Uh, but at the same time, very often when I hear politicians talk about, like, let's talk about that law that, that, that Trump just had his little signing thing with the, did you see this with the with the miners that showed up? This is just quite possibly one of the most tone deaf, idiotic things I've ever seen. He he de, he removes the Obama regulation that was intended to prevent uh, fallout runoff waste from mining going into streams and water sources. Because it was a job-killing coal regulation, and he was gonna have a he had a big ceremony and had like two old guys in mining helmets behind him, and sign this thing and turn around and say, you know what? Let's give the pen to the miners. I'm gonna give the pen to the miners. You like that? We give the pen to the miners. He turns around and gives a pen to the miners, and it was stupid, whatever. But my point is, is that very often when I hear Republicans talk about deregulations, it's laws like that. This is a law that is that is that is just killing all the all the jobs. You have laws along those lines that that just you know that seem to the point of them is to help these big corporations and the bit then all the the larger coal industries and somehow this is going to these jobs or these these laws are what are killing all jobs and if we get rid of those laws then all jobs will come back. Or it'll help the little guy. And they don't ever seem to be laws that are actually going to help people. They seem like they're going to help corporations out a lot. And corporations love them. But how does that actually help us? And I never... I, I don't like, And a lot of the laws that you, that you and I have talked about, some of which I hope you'll highlight, those aren't the ones that I hear about getting repealed. So... I, you know, like even with Dodd-Frank, when they point out the the problems with Dodd-Frank, they're not pointing out the problems 
where, uh, you know, the income that you can declare and how, uh, now how your mortgage income, your student loaning uh, payments are configured when it comes to figuring out whether or not you can get a mortgage. They talk about, oh, this is putting so much pressure on banks. We have to repeal it because it puts all the pressure on the banks. Well, I actually don't give a crap to a certain extent how much pressure it puts on banks. How much pressure is it putting on me? Because I'm self-centered like every good American should be. So talk to me, Goose. Well, well, it's it's like, I mean, it's like anything else. There's good deregulation and there's bad deregulation. Um, and, and there's also semi-pointless deregulation. You know, like what, what you were talking about with getting the ice cream laws on the street, those gotten rid. Well, okay, sure, great, but I don't. Does this really do that much good for us? Does this save us a lot of money or something? What? How does this help us? Um, and and there is bad deregulation in the sense of some of the environmental protection stuff. Um, and and so I get that. You know, like I'll, I'll go back to the, you know, the health department, right? So the health department inspects restaurants. This is a good thing. We need the health department to inspect restaurants. Great. Um, can some of the rules start to get a little bit ridiculous, though? Yes, they can. As I've talked about, the guy, the health department guy holding his light meter over my lettuce saying, oh, there's not a lot, there's not enough light on this lettuce here. All right, this is stupid. That that does not need to be in there. Um, you look at the regulations that get put on public school teachers. There's a reason why teachers enjoy working at private schools Instead of, and a lot of times don't enjoy working at public schools because of all the bureaucratic crap that goes along with it. Um, so I, I don't, I don't want to sit here and say that all deregulation is bad, nor do I want to sit here and say that all regulations are bad. And I get what you're saying where sometimes it feels like these regulations are the ones that are protecting us from corporations taking things too far. And I get that. Now, at the same time, the, the the water one that you're using. Yes, this is helping a corporation, but at the same time, that corporation is providing people with, with jobs. So it is helping those people, right? So it's... Now, is that a good rule to be getting rid of? I, I don't know. I don't know enough about the rule. I don't know enough about what sort of law... Because it didn't get rid of all laws that have to do with coal mining and, and water flow and all those sorts of stuff. It got rid of this one particular thing. So I, I don't know about the impact. I can't, I can't speak to that. Um, well, that's that. What makes me, what do, makes me mad? Do I about hope that. that I will see. I, I but I, you're right in that. I, I, I'm hoping that I will see deregulation that focuses on making things easier for companies to do business, making things easier for individuals like myself to get ahead in life and move forward. Um, a lot of times what that means is getting rid of departments, getting rid of agencies. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of pushback against that. And we'll see if they do it. Because if you're not actually saving money, if you're not actually cutting costs, then deregulation can become a little bit pointless. Well, okay, so let's talk about Dodd-Frank, okay? Dodd-Frank is the one that's really been in the news lately, you know? Because, uh, again, Dodd-Frank, is, it's, it's sort of the whipping, whipping, another whipping, another Republican whipping post 
lately, um, where there was the uh, you know one of one of the rules that got brought up during one of the town halls this week was a woman who had basically been her parents had effectively been taken to the woodshed by a uh, a financial advisor. Dodd Frank put in rules on financial advisors that would have prevented what happened to that woman's parents. And now they're talking about taking those rules out. And you've talked a lot about how the financial advisor industry is sort of a black box and kind of a scam anyway. Uh, And John Oliver did an entire piece on it that was really good. If I can reference Oliver for like the 900th time tonight. Um, and you've also got, but then there are other things that you ran into with your mortgage just recently. Talk about that stuff. You, uh, with the, um, the, the, uh, rental income. And then as far as the, the, how your student loan payments are calculated, that was really stupid. Remember that? Well, yeah. So basically because they're concerned about the housing industry and all this sort of, which they need to be concerned about. Right. And this is just an example of the overreach. We, we need to be concerned about the housing, uh, industry, and we need to be concerned about how mortgages are given out to people. You can't have this, the ninja applications that they had in the past, which were, you know, no income, no job, but Hey, we're still going to give you a loan. Uh, these subprime mortgages, yes, we have to fight against this. But then somehow, in addition to that, they decide that um, no longer are they going to look realistically at what your student loan repayments might might be each month, which with income-based repayments and extended payment plans, these can be kept fairly low. Now they're going to do it based on 1% of your total student loan debt. So someone like me who's never had to pay more than 200 a month, when they're figuring out my debt to income ratio, suddenly they're going to be looking at it as $800 a month, which is crippling and destructive. It makes it virtually impossible for us to get a house. Um, so yeah, so there's one very specific sort of example. But when you talk about Dodd-Frank, uh, there's some things in Dodd-Frank that are very good, right? For example, the capital requirements. These are important. This is what helps to make sure that banks stay stable. They have to have X number of dollars actually in their bank account. So great, fantastic. Uh, We need to keep those things. But we also need to sort of unravel the sprawl. Uh, We have all of these overlapping financial agencies that need to be streamlined, and they need to be made fewer. And this is going to be good for everybody, as I said, except for their staff. And that's where you start to run any issues because now you're talking about laying people off. But this is necessary. There also needs to be greater accountability of financial regulators. Right now, when they levy fines or label an institution as systematically important or they fail, you know, they're, they fail institutions on the stress test, they right now don't have to really explain why. Um and they, they need to. They need to be able to give clear reasons for why this is happening so that everyone understands what is and is not acceptable behavior. Now, a lot of people are talking about wanting to get rid of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I It, it doesn't need to be gotten rid of. 
Uh, it does deserve to survive, but the, this director has some pretty unusually mighty powers, uh, and these need to be pared back a little bit. Uh, and his funding should come from Congress rather than the Federal Reserve. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the idea that we need to not just have sweeping deregulation that is only focused on helping corporations. Um, but we do need to deregulate, and that mainly comes from cutting back on government agencies and where they overlap, bringing them together. Yeah, I think that's fair, and and I'm not again. I'm not opposed to. I am not in not just offhand opposed to deregulation. I am just opposed to. I'm opposed to deregulating just to make life easier for corporate folk. And that should not be the goal of deregulation. The goal of deregulation should not be to simply make life easier for corporate folk. Now that said. Corporate folk are good folk. <laughs> I like corporations mean jobs. They mean they mean money. They mean a dry, thriving economy. We need to be on the side of corporations, absolutely. But that doesn't mean giving them just complete free reign to do whatever they want. Well, and that's I'm I'm not against I'm not against corporations, but I am I I am against this corporate sprawl that we've experienced in the last twenty years. That's what bothers me. And I, I don't know what's caused all of this, but any sort of regional, local, beneficial type of thing seems to have completely gone out the window. And, you know, there are no there are no local banks anymore. There are no uh, local grocery stores where it's not 10 bucks for a gallon of milk. Uh, there aren't, uh, you know, just this whole like the whole shop local initiative is is great and i i hope it continues to to continue to grow but it just it feels like we're losing these individual touches it's like the the last real bastion of individual touches in any community anymore is restaurants and i wonder if that's not why there's not such a because the only real place that you find anything unique anymore is in a is is, is in a town is in its food you know, and I wonder if that's not what's caused all this food porn crap on Instagram over the last few years. You know what I mean? It, it's, it, um, I when I went when I bought my house, I went to a credit union that I have access to because I'm a local government employee, and I had to do things in order to go through that. Like I had to write a letter explaining why I was late on a student loan payment like ten years ago, back when I took a break from college, and it felt a little arcane. And I could see that my my loan officer noticed that I was thinking that, and and she said, "Look, we're we're a small bank. We have I actually have a group of people that I have to go explain why I think you can be a good, you're a safe bet to loan this money to. If you explain this, then then I then they won't. Then they didn't they didn't charge me PMI because she said, "Look, if we've done our jobs, then we don't need to get insurance to make sure that you pay your mortgage." Because if we don't, if we think you're a risk, we're just not going to lend you money. And that's the kind of thing that I didn't get at any of the, I was like, that's the sort of attention to detail that I didn't get at any of the other major corporate banks that I went to. And if I hadn't been a government employee, I wouldn't have had access to that. Because I, there are no, there are no local banks around here that I'm aware of, you know? Well, and the Republicans would point to, 
Dodd Frank when specifically when it comes to small banks and the damage that that's done to them. But that's what our response is going to be is that big government helps big corporations. Small government helps small corporations. I mean, when starting up Bubba's, the number one enemy, number one was government and regulations and taxes. That was enemy number one, hands down. Yeah, but the thing that would have made that easier, nobody talks about repealing. Payroll tax. This is not one that ever comes up. Agreed. Now, I do hear Democrats talk about increasing it. Um, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm not denying that. But, again, they talk about all these taxes that it would help. We want to get rid of all the taxes because the taxes just hurt the small businesses and the people on the ground. So the people on the ground, all the people on the ground make $255,000 a year, right? That's that's about right for the little people. So we'll cut the taxes on all those people. Well, bullshit. No, that doesn't help. None, again, if you look at Trump's plan for cutting taxes, it doesn't do anything for anybody who makes less than like 100, 175 or 180 grand a year. I don't know anyone that makes that much money who's not like my parents, you know, and even they're retired now. So they, so they don't. And, you know, I know what, what one doctor off the top of my head that, that makes that kind of money. It, you know, I, maybe I move in broke circles. That's probably the truth, but you know, it, it just, it's baffling to me that the stuff that would actually make a difference to most of us never gets discussed. And that's what bothers me in the whole cut taxes, deregulation conversation. Well, I guess we'll see. That's all. That's all I can really do for you know. Like I, I, I agree with you know. The, I don't really. I, I don't. I liked Obama's fiduciary uh, rule for financial advisors. I understand the the thought process though is that. Um, so for example, right? So like I'm I'm getting licensed as a financial advisor, right? And as soon as my life insurance agent stuff is done. I can go out and I can tell you that I'm a financial advisor and want to talk to you and help you. And it's all for free. You don't have to pay me anything. Why? Because I'm going to get paid on commission on whatever it is that you end up purchasing or that you end up investing in. Whereas there's potential with fiduciary laws that you'll all no longer be able to provide that sort of service to you for free. It'll be something that you have to pay for. And that's where the argument comes in that we're hurting the poor by creating this rule because they'll no longer have access to financial advice. Now, on the flip side of that, the financial advice that you're getting from a lot of financial advisors out there may not be the financial advice that you want, that you should be getting. And so it's just it's just a tough thing. And to me, it seems like there's easy ways around this, but most of the time when you talk about fiduciaries, they're charging fee for services. Fair enough. All right. Well, like you said, we'll just have to see how it goes down. But uh, yeah, if you have any thoughts on that, hit us up, hit on all that, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, that, that is our show. That's all we have. Uh, why don't you take us out with something cool? I don't have anything cool, and I deeply, deeply apologize for this, the American people. I did not see that on the agenda. Do you read we these? Doing it. <laughs> I do read the agendas. Apparently, 
sometimes I miss things. I will point out to all of you, this is the first time I have not had my something cool. Whereas the other person in this show has missed it twice. So I'm not a bad person here and I apologize. There are a lot of cool things out there in the world and (laughs) I don't have anything. (laughs) Actually, to be fair, I think it's more like three or four times that I've not had anything cool <laughs> to say. Yeah. All right. Well, <clears throat> that threw me for a loop. We're, we're, we're done. Have you anything else to say on the, on, on any of these things that we have discussed tonight? Uh, yeah, there it is. Something cool. Yours. <laughs> Some of All right. Well, whatever. Because, I, yeah, I had some that last, last week I had the, the thing with the environmental laws that was very cool. And I don't know. You know what? Trump gave a pen to some miners. Yeah. That was not cool. Wait. Never mind. <laughs> bad. All right. Well, have you anything else? I do not. All right. Well, fair enough. Thank you so much for joining us. That's all we have for the evening. Uh, check us out on Twitter. I'm at LibCon. Matt. Tim is at LibCon. Tim. Have a pleasant, pleasant week, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.